Hey, I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church, our next sermon. You know, this last week I was on vacation. Uh, we stayed with John and Alicia Peak. Some of you might remember them. Some of them, you, some of you won't. Uh, they have a one-year-old baby, and Harvey is adorable. And whenever we walked by, like, older people, they loved seeing Harvey. And Alicia, she's awesome. She would go, like, out of her way to show off Harvey, Harvey to the older ladies just so she could like see their reactions. It was great. Now I love babies too. And like, cause we were in the same cabin together. I got like a good share of Harvey cuddles. It was awesome. Sometimes in a church, we can love babies so much that we like create ministries with the hopes of making babies. Um, if there's a ministry for single adults in their twenties and thirties, the implicit goal is probably to Let's partner them up and let's bring more babies to church. That might not be the stated goal of the ministry, but it's usually like a focus. Ask anybody that was single in their 20s or 30s to describe the single ministry at their church if they had one, and that's probably what you're going to hear. Our, our culture, like in the church in America, has done a great job about the virtues of finding a partner and having a family and doing all this. And we push that. We push finding a partner, watch a movie, read a book, look at TikTok. It's all about finding somebody. We have nailed the goodness of being in a relationship and of being bringing cute babies into the world. But we've often failed to talk about the virtues of being single, the virtues of singleness. And so this sermon is all about singleness. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And all of 1 Corinthians 7, 7 is about marriage and singleness and the contrast between them. If you want, you can read the whole chapter this week. I'd recommend it. Read all of 1 Corinthians 7. But in order to keep like this sermon to a reasonable time, I'm going to start in verse 25 and go through to the end of the chapter. And so far, Paul has encouraged the church of Corinth to remain as they are. Were they married when they became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then stay married. Were they single? Stay single. And today we're going to see what does it mean to live as a single Christian. So we're going to start at verse 25. Um, and here's what Paul says. This is from the NIV. Now about virgins or, uh, yeah, now about virgins or young women, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed by them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. The ministries of the church are generally designed for families. Or, if they are for single people, it's really just to kind of help them get ready for marriage. I mean, but think about this, right? The average age of marriage of, is now about 28 years old, and the average life expectancy is 78-ish. That means that like one-third of your life, that if you are totally average, one-third of your life will be single, will be spent single without being married. And if you're a married couple, 
most likely one of you will outlive the other. And so what we need is because of all of this time that we'll spend in our life as single people, we need to have a theology of singleness that serves the unmarried well. A theology of singleness that says, just get married, does not work for most unmarried people. There are some of you that need to just get married. If you're a dude in a long-term committed relationship, you want to honor God with your girlfriend, you need to propose and get married. We're going to see that in the text as well. But what is a theology of singleness? That's what we really want to talk about. What is a theology of singleness? Because oftentimes our definition of singleness begins in the negative. It begins with what is lacking. You are single because you don't have a husband or a wife. And we take that a step further. As a single person, you must lack intimacy, companionship, or family. Because in our culture, to be single must, must mean that you're lonely, right? And there are, I think, three reasons that somebody might be single. The first reason is that they are incredibly ugly. No, I'm just kidding. The first reason is that they're too young to marry. Like we got kids around here that are too young to marry. Is it wrong for them? The second reason is that they're a widow or a widower. Their spouse has passed away. The third reason is that God has not called them to marry anybody. All three of these reasons are totally valid, but our culture pushes romantic relationships on people. In our culture, to be human is to be romantically involved with another person. See, part of the human nature, part of the human experience, part of the natural human experience is romance. But is that true? Is that true? So part of my job as a pastor and teacher is to understand our culture so that I can speak into it. Our culture has developed a sense of affirmation. We seek out news sources and people and other things, and we really like those things that affirm the things that we already think are true. We want our news to affirm the things that we think are true. I already think these people are bad and these people are good, so let me find the news that puts these forts for us good and these people is bad. And I put myself around people who think the same way. And we so rarely read the other side's points. But my role as somebody who preaches is not affirmation, but education. I'm here to preach the word. I hope that it challenges you. The word should be a challenge to your soul. And so if through my sermons you're not affirmed, but you're challenged, that probably means I'm doing a good job. So I want to educate you on what scripture says. That's what I'm here for. So here's the affirmation. Here's what our world believes. To be human is to embrace romance. Here's the education though. The most fully human and free person to ever live was Jesus Christ. Jesus was born, lived, died, resurrected, and now reigns eternally as a single man. He never dated, never married, and never had sex. And he is the full expression of humanity. Humanity was made in his image. He didn't reflect humanity. Humanity reflects him. And if dating, marriage, and sex are integral to human fulfillment, we are saying that Jesus is less than human. Now, I don't want to deny or diminish our felt needs, but I think our felt need for a companion is the soul's cry that it is incomplete without another. 
And that's true. The other we need is not a romantic partner, though. That's a substitution for our real need, which is God in a community filled by his Holy Spirit. I think this is the truth of singleness that we often miss. Single people are just as capable of living with God in a community as married people. In fact, Paul is going to say they might be more capable. And Paul here in our text begins by saying in verse 26, in view of the impending crisis, it is well for you to remain as you are. And I think, and most commentators agree, that Paul is talking about the coming kingdom of God. Jesus is returning soon. He's coming back. So don't get distracted by a boy or a girl. In verse 27, Paul's saying, because Jesus is coming, don't try to get a divorce from your wife. And also don't seek a wife. He goes on though, if you do marry, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being married and there's nothing wrong with being single. And everything from verse 29 to 31 then is grounded in the idea that Jesus is coming soon. The world will be radically different when he comes. And when we define singleness in the negative, lacking a relationship, we can miss the reality of the kingdom of God revealed in our single brothers and sisters. See, singleness is a gift of the Lord. And we as a church have often failed to take this gift seriously. We are good at telling the reality of marriage as a reflection of God's story. Two weeks ago, I gave a definition of marriage. That is, it's the covenantal union between two sexually different people, male and female, that reflects God's creation and his story with his creation. Singleness, though, this is where we largely miss it. Singleness, though, is also a reflection of the gospel. While marriage talks about unity, it tells the story of God's unity in creation, singleness tells of God's sufficiency. God is enough. And these verses serve as a reminder that whatever may hold your attention in this world, relationships, loss, money, laughter, possessions, they won't matter when Jesus comes. Jesus tells a story about a man who is out wandering in a field and he stumbles across a buried treasure. And what he does is he runs home and he sells everything that he has just so he can buy that field to possess that treasure. Jesus's point there is that he is the treasure in the field. And Paul is making the same point. Are you willing to give up everything that you have to follow Jesus? Because that's Jesus pleading with you. Give it all up to follow me. And if you're single, is Jesus enough? Can you be happy as a single person in Jesus' arms? Are his arms enough for you or do you need another's? And if you're married, is Jesus enough? Is your identity grounded in Jesus Christ or do you see yourself first as something else? Do you see yourself as his first and second as a husband or a wife? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? Or what are you holding on to that you cannot let go of? Everything so far, has we've provided a good theology of singleness. It's understanding single, singleness through the lens of the Bible. And to say that like Jesus is enough, it provides us with a story of sufficiency. But that doesn't always like answer, how can you as a single person live? Let's go to the next set of verses and explore this idea. This is verse 32 to 35. I would like you to be free from concern. 
An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So here's what we need to see. Married people must be concerned about their spouses. And then when you add kids into that, you have to be concerned about them as well. But Paul says, if you're not married, your total attention can be on the Lord. And there's a beautiful way that we can accept single people as they are in their singleness and devotion to the Lord. Single people are not opportunities for matchmaking, but are community in and of themselves. You don't need a significant other to be significant in community. And I understand that there can be deep heartache from being single. And I want you to know that is, that is from our culture and that is not from the Lord. The Lord desires that in the community of the church, your every need as a single person will be met. And there are two points that I want to make here. The first is that the church must do a better job of living with single people. Being single is hard. I have more conversations with single people about the difficulty of being single than I do on nearly any other subject that they might have. And as a church, do we make an effort to live in community with our single brothers and sisters in a way that welcomes them into our homes and families? To become a Christian in the early church, it often meant that you would have to leave your family behind. And that's still true in a lot of places around the world today. Uh, Sarah's language partner in Cambodia, she became a Christian and her Buddhist grandmother beat her. So she stayed with another Christian family for a time. And I can gladly say that now her mother started attending church with her, but for a time she wondered, as a single lady, she hadn't been married yet, if she had a family. She became a Christian and her family left her. And I can say she found a family in the church. And the early church was known for becoming family to the new believers. For us as a church, do we love our single brothers and sisters as though they are our actual brothers and sisters? Because when I go to my brother's house, I open his fridge and I eat his food. And he does the same when he comes to my house. Do the single people here in this family, do they feel open? Do they feel welcome to open your fridge? And for you single people, I want you to know I want you to come to my house. I want you to open my fridge and I want you to eat my food. I want you at our dinner table. Uh, for a while, Sarah and Cache and others were meeting in our house uh, for their Bible study. And so I watched Alex and Lizzie for that time. And what they would do is they would open our fridge. They'd open all the drawers. They knew where the apples and the oranges were. And they'd be like, I want this. And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely do it. And I would make sure that we actually had apples and oranges for them because I love them, because I want to live in community with them. And if you're a single person, whether that's a single mom, a single dad, or just you on your own, if you feel lonely, we have a spot for you at our table. And we would love to come and sit at your table as well. Don't feel like our house is just open to you. We want to come into your home as well. I know a single guy who talks about his gift of couch surfing. 
He spends his time with his church family. He doesn't have a girlfriend, though he'd be open to one if the right one came along. And even though he has his own, his, his own apartment, he often spends nights on his friend's couch or in their spare bedrooms if they had one. And it became really normal. It became really normal that he would stay with others. He is loved by his church and they are loved by him. And it's a neat thing. So how cool is that as like an example of a healthy, loving community? So get this. He had a friend and his wife and they were in the same community group together and he would sleep on their couch sometimes. And then they went through a miscarriage. And my friend, he just packed his stuff. He just grabbed his bag and he went and stayed with them. And he talks about if he had been married, if he had a girlfriend, that probably wouldn't be possible. And so imagine this, like in your darkest moment, a Christian brother shows up at your door and their grief became his grief because of how normal his stays were. This wasn't an intrusion. It was a beautiful act of community. He was there to love them well because he had taken time to build community in his singleness with the community of believers. He alleviated their grief by feeling it with them. And the couple who lost the baby, they talk about the deep love they felt by him staying with them. And Paul is saying here that there's an incredible freedom from being single. There's an incredible freedom from being single. How are you going to use that freedom? 1 Corinthians 7.32 says, I would like you to be free from concern. And the Greek word here for concern can also mean anxiety. I'd like you to be free from anxiety. Because you can use your freedom to be anxious. Or you can, and you can use your freedom to be anxious and you can be in your own head and you can think about, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have a girlfriend, I'd like my life to be here, but it's not. Or you can use your freedom to build relationships. The familial community is not generated overnight, but it's cultivated through time. Paul's verse in 735 rings true. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint on you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. My friend found freedom from anxiety in their singleness. And my friend was able to be with his friends in their grief. They were and are his family in a real way. And both marriage and singleness reflect the glory of God. Do you see your singleness as a reflection of God's sufficiency? Because the goal of the single person should not be to get married, but to love the Lord. And does our church reflect that truth to our single brothers and sisters? Let's go on verse 36 to 40. These are the last set of verses to my third point. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he's engaged to, let's pause right there. This word virgin is weird. Uh, literally what it is is like young young girl. Um, the way that the, the Greek language worked, the way that the Hebrew language worked and the Hebrew culture worked is that it was just assumed. If you're a long, young girl, you are a virgin and that's how they would call you. And so like, it's kind of weird to translate it that way in our culture today because that's might not be true. And so what we need to do is kind of when it says virgin here, we need to think like young girl. And as we even apply it to ourselves today, like we know that this is what it meant in that time. And so I like, I appreciate the NIV for doing that for like, Hey, here's what this meant for them. But at the same time, we can also recognize that that might not be where we're at today. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. 
He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. I want to focus in on a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 7.38, So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her is better. The NIV translation, a virgin, we've kind of talked about this, is fine, but it could be better. I like the NRSV. It says, So then he who marries his fiance does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do better. Still not exactly, but it's close. But how do we apply this today? If your desires are burning, you can't control yourself, then get married. Paul's position is that if your desires are not under control, it is better that you marry than burn with passion. And Paul flips our conventions on our head. He says, if you get married, that's good. But he flips our ideas when he says, but if you can stay single, that's better. And that is so strange to our ears. Do we actually believe it is better to be single than to be married, or do we believe that Paul is crazy? Because if you struggle as a single person with anxiety and about the future and about who you'll be with, marriage won't fix that. Your anxieties will just shift to the next thing. Whatever issue that you have, you bring them with you to your marriage and you drop them off on your partner. If you struggle with being single, If you bounce from a relationship to relationship, if you can't be happy and single, being in a relationship won't fix that. And we're talking about people like on their way to codependency and stuff. I want you to be healthy in whatever position you're in. If you're single, I want you to be a healthy single person. If you're married, I want you to be a healthy married person. If you're single, it would be better for you to be a healthy single person than an unhealthy person in a relationship. And Paul's position is that if you can't be single and honor God, get married. It'll be better for you to figure out how to build a life with one person rather than bounce from person to person. Think about it like this. When I got married, I was 23 years old. This September, Sarah and I will celebrate 10 years of marriage. If I was the same person today that I was when we got married, that would be unhealthy. Now, I was in a healthy place at 23. But there's a difference between an emotionally healthy 23-year-old and an emotionally healthy 32-year-old. But if I maintain that same level, if I hadn't grown, I would now be an immature 32-year-old. As I've matured, though, as I've gone from 23 at a healthy 23-year-old to what I think is now a healthy 32-year-old, what I've done is I've matured and my love for Sarah has matured in exactly the same way. As I've discovered things about myself that were known only to God, and as I've explored these, I've had to explore them in the context of marriage to Sarah. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing that as we get closer to God, Sarah and I grow closer to one another. Yet Paul says, the beauty of singleness surpasses this beauty of marriage. He says, when you are single, you don't need to worry about where the other person is. You just run after Jesus. It can be difficult to be single, and I hear that. 
I, I have a question. Do we as a church, do we, do I as a pastor here, as a husband to Sarah, do I make it easier or harder for the single people around us to share with us the sufficiency of Christ? Do we celebrate singleness? Because healthy singleness expresses the sufficiency of God in the same way a healthy marriage expresses the unity of God. And that's a lesson that I need to hear. I need to hear about how God is enough. And the single person is able to have their attention on the Lord. And, And instead of a spouse, there is a community available that is beautiful and honors God. And we can live with one another as a family as God intended. And finally, to be married is good. To be single is better. Neither the person who's single nor the person who marries is wrong or sins. Both share the glory of God with the world around them. And so for those of us in the church who are married, here's a couple of questions for you. Who are the single people with whom you are living in community? Who are the people who who are invited to open your fridge door? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel comfortable to open your fridge? Do they feel comfortable to sit at your table? How are you allowing them to teach you about God's sufficiency in your life? How can you live better with the single person around you in a way that celebrates and honors their singleness, in a way that encourages them to become a part of the community? For at least a third of your life, on average, you will be single. This week, how can you let the single people here embrace the community they need? And for you single people, This week and every week, when you need something, who are you inviting to your table? Whose fridge door, who's who's opening your fridge door? Who's invited into your space to open your fridge door and to live intentionally into your life? And also, whose fridge door are you opening? What do you need? If you're a single person, I want to know, what do you need to find God's sufficiency in your life? Or... How are you missing God's sufficiency by bouncing from a relationship to relationship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you just continue to help teach me the lessons about your sufficiency through the single people around me? Lord, just as I hope my marriage reflects your story and your unity in creation, would you help me see your sufficiency through the single people around me? Would you bring people to sit at my table to eat my food? And would you invite me into spaces where I can open someone else's fridge door and live in community with them? And Lord, would you just help us all to just be better at this in your community? And we just ask this in your name. Amen.